Unfortunately, it, it's a continuation of, of, of the horrendous events we've been seeing. I mean, the, uh, the video with the hostages seems to be, uh, you know, Hamas trying to play one of the few cards that it has. I mean, that's indeed one of the reasons it, it captured hostages was to have some leverage when the inevitable backlash came. And uh, it is a, a very emotive issue in Israel's domestic politics. I mean, Netanyahu, it has to be remembered, was unpopular before this war. He is still unpopular. And the issue of what happens to the hostages is one of those things that could really damage him politically. And he knows this because he has shown a certain disregard um, for the fate of the hostages. I mean, it's, it's been put on record by Israeli politicians that they're they're not really interested in in accuracy when it comes to, to, to bombing. It's more about damage and, and inflicting damage on Hamas. And if hostages get killed, that's very tragic, but it's, it's, it's essentially collateral damage. So that obviously to the relatives of families is something that they don't embrace. Um, in terms of the, 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 the statistics, I mean, they have been outlined uh, very recently and very cogently at the International Court of Justice in The Hague, and they are really startling. I mean, 24,000 Palestinians have been killed in the last three months or 100 days, as you say, uh, since the 7th of October. And it's always worth to put that in perspective. I mean, how, how you know, Gaza being so small, it's it's 10 times smaller than County Clare. We're talking about more than 1% of the population of, of Gaza being being killed in just three months. I mean, that would be like 50,000 citizens of, of this state uh, being killed in a similar period. I mean, this is obliterating a society. And, and that's why the charge of genocide has been brought at The Hague by South Africa. And it's a very interesting case, which I think will have uh, potentially long-term ramifications, because there are two parts to it, just to stress this. There's the, the, the longer-term issue of whether what we're seeing is a genocidal attack. That's a legal issue. It will take years uh, to to um, find a judgment and therefore won't have a direct impact in the coming days and weeks. But South Africa is also looking for preventative measures to take place. And, and that, that, that a judgment could be made on that within weeks. And that could, for example, ask... Uh, or rather order Israel uh, to desist from from the bombing there is of course the question of whether Israel will listen uh, president or sorry prime minister Netanyahu tweeted uh, just a couple of days ago that uh, and I quote nobody will stop us not the Hague not the axis of evil and not anybody else which seems to suggest that Israel is above any law in, indeed in, even international law and, and just before we get into uh, the meat and bones of the the, the case at the the ICJ w- w- just to clarify for people, with whatever judgment they make, Donica, is it actually enforceable? It's it's not enforceable in the sense that there's nobody to enforce it. Um, it's 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 enforceable in the legal sense. I mean, so for example, Ireland is a signatory to to the, the the genocide convention, so you know it should take note of any findings. And indeed, there was a finding um, of, of this kind of preventative kind found against Russia last year in March when a case was taken against uh, Russia again citing genocide, uh, and and Ireland kind of you know took up that uh, cause uh, later, and and therefore it has affected Irish foreign policy towards Russia. It would have implications, I think, for relations with uh, Israel uh, were they to be found. Firstly to be, you know, continuing a war when they had been asked to stop by the ICJ and ultimately, of course, if they were found guilty of, of genocidal actions. And by the way, there's often a common misconception about what genocide is, that it, in, it involves wiping out an entire nation. It, it doesn't. I mean, if you're trying to wipe out even part of a nation based on their ethnicity, that that can also be deemed to be genocidal. So it's, it's going to be, as I said, a very interesting case. The, the cases were outlined uh, during the last week, uh, first by a uh, 
the judge, the, the legal representation team from South Africa, which included a very, I'm sure some of your listeners have, have followed this, a very uh, articulate Irish lawyer, uh, Lynn Nigrolig, uh, who for half an hour outlined the, the fundamentals of the case. Israel put its, its, its counter uh, case the, the following day. And as I said, the deliberations will go on now in the coming weeks. Yeah, certainly the performance uh, and some of the uh, comments or remarks that Blinnie Grolig made have have made for uh, have circulated widely on social media. Um, she spoke about the number of orphans that have been created by Israel's genocidal assault on the Palestinian population in Gaza. She said it's led to the need for a new acronym WCNSF, Wounded Child, No Surviving F- Family. Meanwhile, the lawyers and professors representing Israel say South Africa's accusation of genocide. Is is warped? I, I what I, I have to say what I thought was warped was a comment from the Israeli Foreign Ministry's legal advisor Tal Becker, who insisted they're trying to protect people in Gaza, which I thought was um, quite an interesting remark, Donica, given what's going on there. I mean, I'd hate to see what would happen if if Israel wasn't trying to protect people in Gaza. Well, that's it. There's, there's been almost an Orwellian distortion of language uh, during this war. And of course, you might argue that it occurs in, in wartime generally. I mean, I, I have a similar distaste for terms. Uh, it was used, for example, during uh, the most recent visit of uh, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken, where he was reiterating uh, his concern that the number of uh, Palestinian casualties be reduced. And, and to me, this implies that there's an acceptable level of, of you know, innocent lives being lost, that, you know, yeah. if Israel could only reduce the number of, of innocent lives being lost. And if that's the case, then perhaps, you know, he might come out just and explicitly say what that number is, because I think to most reasonable people, I mean, it's not in any circumstances justified to take the lives of innocents, uh, irrespective of the cause. And, you know, what's quite clear, again, going back to the legal aspect, is that, you know, because Israel's case is based on one of self-defense, is that, you know, simply, you know, an atrocity in response to an atrocity is not in itself a legal justification any more than you or I committing a murder because somebody, you know, who was close to us was murdered is a justification in a court of law. But unfortunately, what Israel has done, as I said, is that they've said more or less that irrespective of what the court decides, um, you know, they will ignore the court's ruling. Now, that's what Russia did last year when it was asked to desist. And that goes back to your question about enforceability. But Russia is in a different place in the world than Israel. Russia has no pretensions to be part of, you might say, the Western world or, you know, in alliance with Europe or America. Uh, whereas Israel has. Um, and I think that, therefore, that's why there's been such a, a pushback on this. Of course, they'd like to get it ruled out of order at an early stage but the fact that the court has accepted the case and is deliberating upon it is significant in itself and it will be interesting to see Donica if if indeed uh, the court finds against Israel what the whether the support from the United States will waver I've spoken before about um, how there's a slight I won't say that I won't say the tide of opinion has turned in terms of how vociferous uh, Joe Biden is about supporting and standing as an ally of Israel, but certainly members of his re-election team, staffers and so on, have quit or written to him saying that this is damaging his re-election campaign, his unwavering support for Israel, no matter what they do. If indeed Israel was found to be uh, guilty of genocide, and with it being an election year in the United States, it'd be interesting just to see, would pressure be put on Joe Biden if Israel ignores 
whatever judgment is handed down uh, or will he stick by them in which case will it harm his re-election chances and will it also be a case of the tail wagging the dog if if, if the court finds against Israel accused of genocide the United States uh, leans on Israel a bit more heavily to try and get them to desist from what they're doing and Israel just ignores them as well yeah, I mean, Israel has proven to be impervious to external pressure, but then you have to argue that, you know, they have had that lifeline of U.S., unconditional U.S. support, which is $4 billion annually during, you know, times of relative peace. There's never there's never times of complete peace, of course, in, in Israel-Palestine relations um, and has been augmented since this war began. And, of course, the rhetoric has been from the beginning that the U.S. has Israel's back. Uh, that's a direct quote from Secretary of State Antony Blinken. So there's been no suggestion that there's been a wavering of support, unfortunately. And the, as I said, going back to the question of genocide, there won't be a judgment on the larger issue of genocide before the US election. So it won't have any implications in that respect. But as I said, the court may uh, order Israel to desist from its current campaign. And if it continued regardless, that would have important symbolic implications, but again, it's hard to know whether it would it would um, sway uh, American opinion necessarily. It's interesting that the, the president of the International Court of Justice is American. I don't know whether that would have any significance in swaying uh, American sentiment uh, on the issue. But as you know, there have been huge votes in the, G- the UN General Assembly uh, where all but the US, Israel and a couple of minor states in the South Pacific who, if you look at their cases carefully, uh, are somewhat uh, promiscuous in their support, depending on who pays them in, in, in international politics, places like Nauru, uh, for example. Um, they, the, the US and Israel have, have continued regardless of those votes at the United Nations. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be too optimistic uh, without ruling it out altogether that uh, a negative vote at the International Court of Justice would fundamentally alter US support for Israel. Uh, Dr. Gilan Waba Abdelmajid, who's uh, the Palestinian ambassador to Ireland, she's looking for the Irish government to back South Africa's case. Certainly seems to be a reasonably significant number uh, of uh, citizens who want the, the government to back the South African case. But as we know, they're not. And we mentioned on last Friday's show, Leo Radker said he'd be loath to criticise Israel of genocide and referenced the Holocaust, although I'm not sure that that means that they could never be accused or be guilty of genocide because they've gone through that. Eamon Ryan, though, maybe there's a difference of opinion on this in government saying South Africa has made irrefutable points on the Gaza conflict. I'm just interested for your take on the Irish government uh, not uh, backing South Africa on this. Well, there's certainly divisions within the government parties. There's no question there. The, uh, the opposition parties are united on their belief that the Irish government should be supporting South Africa's uh, case at The Hague. They should have been a co-sponsor. So that's the position of Sinn Féin, the Labour Party, the Social Democrats, for example. But within Fianna Fáil, for example, I mean, Michal Martin has said that those who who put that position are being divisive. But Billy Kelleher, for example, a well-known MEP representing Fianna Fáil for Dublin, has been strident in his support for uh, Ireland backing South Africa's case. He was present at that huge march in Dublin um, uh, supporting um, the Palestinian cause, uh, which took place on Saturday. Um, it's it's interesting you mentioned about Leo Varadkar's position because Leo Varadkar was in Kosovo um, during uh, the last week. And uh, you might know that, of course, Ireland was one of the first countries to support the recognition of Kosovo as an independent state against the wishes of Serbia. And the very grounds for that was that Serbia was involved in genocidal aggression uh, against the uh, Kosovar Albanians. Now, of course, the Serbs argued that they were doing it also in a defensive capacity. There was a thing called the Kosovar Liberation Army. They were fighting them. But the position of uh, many Western 
European countries, certainly the US, was that these, um, you know, this Serbian aggression amounted to a genocidal attack. And they not only bombed Serbia to, de- to get them to desist from their attacks on the Kosovo Albanians, but they, they created a two-state solution, creating an independent Kosovo and an independent Serbia. So, you know, we have, you know, in the, in the past you know, take an action uh, where required to, you know, protect people, because it's all about, you know, protecting human life. And we come back to this fundamental aspect all the time that, that you know, what is the best way of protecting Palestinians? Surely it is to give them their own state. Isn't that the Israeli uh, argument? They argue that, and, and they have a very strong case in arguing this, that because of the Jewish Holocaust, the only way to protect Jews was by having their own state. And indeed, you've, you've heard heard that argument used in recent weeks as well, that Hamas are the new Nazis, and thank God that Israel has a state to protect itself. But who will protect the Palestinians? Uh, international law, it seems, isn't protecting them. They don't have a strong sponsor who can step in on their behalf. Surely the only long-term solution is a Palestinian state. And unfortunately, as we've observed, I mean, Israel has, despite the rhetoric, been annexing and annexing more territory of Palestine, making it unforeseeable almost that we could have an independent Palestinian state. State. And until you have a parallel, I mean, getting getting a ceasefire is the first step, but we have to think beyond that. And unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a political will, or hasn't been thus far, to create that two-state solution, which has worked de facto, despite the Serbs' opposition for Kosovo. Um, and I think it would work for Palestine again. Just before I let you go, uh, Dunica, other uh, events connected to this, of course, as I mentioned uh, in my introduction, the US and UK coordinated uh, attacks on Houthi rebels, which have led to some people saying that it seems these countries are more uh, concerned about shipping than about uh, lost Palestinian lives. But uh, Houthi rebels, they've promised to retaliate. I just wonder, will they? The British government insists these strikes were a one-off. It remains to be seen. But will will the Houthi rebels who are, are linked with Hamas and are, are have targeted these ships because they want to put pressure on Israel to stop what it's doing in Gaza, whether they will retaliate or would they be loath to risk further retaliation from the British and the Americans or whether any of what's happening between the US and the UK and the Houthis could lead to further de-escalation in the Middle East or lead to any sort of large-scale war? I I don't see this as something that will lead to a large-scale escalation, partly because it's very asymmetrical. I mean, the Houthi rebels you know, had difficulty controlling Yemen. I mean, they've only conquered it de facto because of a civil war. They're in no position to take on the most powerful military resources of the United States and and the UK and others. So I think this is very much more a symbolic act. Um, And you're right uh, in highlighting the fact that people have commented on the inconsistency of of, of those who are willing to have airstrikes to protect trade, um, but uh, seem less moved to go in there and protect people, uh, children, women, we're being killed every every day of the week. Um, but it is a major trading route. I mean, 12% of global trade goes through the Red Sea. Yemen is pivotal to all of that. I mean, this is not a legitimate government, of course, in Yemen. It's important to point out. Their backers, of course, Iran, are not legitimate either. And these are these are dictatorships. Um, but I don't think that there's any... And nobody wants uh, an escalation. The US doesn't want it. Um, you know, the Yemen, the Yemenis, as I said, I don't think, if they thought about it for a moment, want to take on the military might of those powers and... And Iran has has been, you know, in a way a spoiler, but also doesn't want to to, to bite off more than it can chew. It, it's still developing its nuclear weapons. Um, it's it's not far off getting them. Uh, they might act more assertively once they acquire them. But until then, I think Iran will uh, keep its powder dry.